Well, Jesus, we believe that this morning. God, I pray that if, if we don't, Lord, I pray that just even right now that you would start softening our hearts to that truth, which is at the center of the Christian faith, that you are Lord, which in contrast, that means we are not. God, we are finite and you are infinite. We are sinners and you are perfect. So God, I pray as we, as we dig into your word, God, and as we worship through the word of God, that we would find it living and active. Lord, that my words would fall on deaf ears this morning. Lord, that your words would be exalted as supreme. God, we do not deserve to be in your presence, but you give us your presence every day. And Lord, that is good news for us this morning. We're thankful for the cross. I pray that if it is stale to us this morning, that maybe for the first time in a long time, that you would make it sweet and good news. Lord, we love you. Let me pray. Amen. Well, Dawson family, my name is Garrett Perkins, and if you are visiting this week, uh, I have been here for the past three weeks. This is my third week of four. Uh, I am one of the directors at Canicut Camps uh, in the southwestern part of Missouri, and I've been invited here to just to share with you guys uh, some, some stuff from the Word of God, which gets me really excited. But So one, thanks for visiting. If you are here, uh, I'm trying to make you as comfortable as possible. Uh, I told uh, the other two services this. I'm learning the Birmingham culture. First and foremost, I got my boots on, so I am officially Southern. You're welcome. Uh, second, uh, I'm learning a couple things about Birmingham culture. Uh, one, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a foodie. I love food. Uh, and I have gone to the same place two of the three Sundays I've been here, or Saturday nights, because I can't get enough of it. So shameless plug, so Saw's Barbecue down the road. <laughs> wow. White barbecue sauce is a thing. I didn't know that. Praise God for white barbecue sauce. So uh, I will most likely be going back next Saturday, but a, a gentleman came after the second service and shared with me that there are multiple locations of Saw's. They have burgers. I, I, I might have to come back for a fifth week and not even preach, just come and eat. So um, fun for me to be here. If you are a guest, uh, we are in a series going through the first chapter of James, James chapter one, and it's called a saving faith, a faith that is shaped by the power of the gospel. So week one, we really just looked at verses one through 12, and I wanna catch you up real fast, that a saving faith is a faith that is extremely hopeful, that a saving faith is hopeful. So in verses one through 12 of chapter one, we saw that amongst trials, suffering, pain, and anguish, a believer, someone who is in Christ, someone that's a Christian, should look different. They handle trials and suffering a lot differently, that they are hopeful because the finished work of Christ brings a lot of hope, or it should. Week two, we learned that amidst suffering, temptation comes on the heels of it, that a saving faith, in verses 12 through 17, a saving faith is one that is faithful amongst trials, that they will be faithful to God because Christ was immeasurably faithful on their behalf. And this week, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1, uh, that a saving faith is a faith that is active. A saving faith is active. That if you've been changed by the power of the gospel, your life should look drastically different. So that's where we're going. That's the roadmap. And how cool is it, Dawson family, that we have only been in one page of the Bible for the past three weeks? One page, verse by verse, word by word, that the word does not return void, so that every verse, every word is intentional. We're not going to dodge things. We're not going to get out of the way of the hard passages. We're going to really look at what God has for us today on what it looks like to have a saving faith that is active. 
So uh, we're gonna go through verses 18 through 25. So if you turn to your pew Bibles, it's uh, page 1196, chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Here we go. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So really, I want to back up, and if you were here last week, we, start, we ended with verse 18, and we're going to start with verse 18 today, because I believe that James, verse 18 is kind of a pivot, or a hinge to move from verses 1 through 17, are talking about suffering and trials, and how we're supposed to interact with God, and how God comes and helps us amidst trials, not necessarily getting us out of trials, but meeting us where we are. Now verse 18 is him shifting to really what it looks like to be a believer in everyday life. And in verse 19 and 20, you're going to see him talk about some behaviors, some things that he expects believers. If the answer to the question of am I a Christian is yes, there's an expectation that you do certain things, that you look a certain way, that you act a certain way that is honoring to God. But before he gets to the behavior, James goes after the heart. So before we can understand how to have a faith that is active, we need to understand the activity that God has done on our behalf. And James gets that. That's why he starts in verse 18. Let's read verse 18. It says that he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So we see this beautiful picture of God's proactivity on our behalf, our meaning Christians. James is talking to believers and he wants to tell them before you realize all the stuff that you need to do for God, he wants to remind us and give us an anchor to our souls that God has done immeasurably more on our behalf. So let's look at God's activity in verse 18 alone. First we see the first two words, he chose, and then the third word, us. So one, we learn the who, that God is the activator in our faith, that the only reason that we believe in God is because God wanted us to be in his family. That this, this word he chose us in the ESV translation of the Bible, it says that out of God's own will or his own desires and out of the very character and being of this holy God, out of the overflow of his heart was the fact that he wanted to save people. That God is not this abusive father that thinks or is coerced or strong-handed into going, I need to do something because these people are so bad. Okay, fine, I guess, I guess I better help them. That's not how our God is. That out of the overflow of his very being, he desired you and me to be in his family. That's unbelievable. And we, and we just skip over that. And it doesn't just end there. That's the who. But then the what. What did this God do? What did he choose? It says that he chose us. To, and he gave birth to us. 
He chose to give us birth. Now that's a weird word. So for some of us who we might not come to church very often and we might have just came to hear our kids, let me explain that. That word of giving birth has to do with the spiritual birth that when you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart in Jesus the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5 says that you are a new creation. The Greek word is metamorpho, that you have been made alive for the first time, as it says in Ephesians 2. That you might have had breath your whole life, but Ephesians 1 and 2 says that you are actually dead in your transgressions and your sins outside of God making you alive. So God, in this concept of birth, gives us a glimpse of one reminding us that God is a father first. This is, in a, this is a reoccurring theme in the book of James, that he is a good father. That this This word birth actually refers to the doctrine, theological term, the doctrine of adoption. So this is what happens when you confess your mouth and believe your heart that Jesus is Lord. That God looks upon you, now doesn't see you as an enemy of God, but now goes, okay, you are now in my family. I will pay a massive price to adopt you to be my son or my daughter. Romans 8 puts it best. Romans 8, 15 says that you received a spirit that does not make you slaves to live in fear, but rather a spirit that you received brought you to an adoption to sonship. So now we cry, Abba, Father. There is a holy God. He is a real being. This isn't some like, uh, this material concept that's not real. This is true. This is a fact. He is in heaven. We do not deserve him, but he said, I want you in my family. That's the who, that's the what. So then, but why? Why would God do that? What's in it for God? And here's what's, what's beautiful in this end of 118. It explains the why behind why God saved you. If you claim to be a Christian, if you're going, I am eternally secure in Christ Jesus, this is why God saved you. One, to bring him glory. And two, to be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So that word first fruits is, a, is another interesting term that James used. And what he means by that is throughout all of the Bible, we see this concept of Genesis 1 in the garden. The hope is to bring all of creation, all mankind, all, the, all of creation back under the authority of the name of Jesus. That the hymn that we just sang, under the name of Jesus. And the whole purpose of the world right now is that God is bringing people back to a right relationship with him. And of all of creation, sun, moon, grass, mountains, snow, all of creation, the first place that God went to redeem, the first thing that he fixed, his most prized possession was not creation, it was man and woman. That this is how God views you if you are in Christ, that you are his, the best reflection for God to reveal himself to the world is you. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. But there's not a period there. It says you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we need to understand before we pull ourselves up on our bootstraps and start to try and do a lot of good stuff for God, we need to remember, worship, fall in love, enjoy, believe in God's proactivity on our behalf. And when we start to actually believe that, all of a sudden, good works will flow out of appreciation, not out of duty. 
but out of delight. This is why James starts here. So we see this concept, this is who the Christian is. This is who a believer in Christ Jesus is. This is your identity, that you are chosen by God, that you are saved, you are given birth, you actually have a spiritual breath, that you are in relationship with God so that you can be a first fruits, the first fruits of his harvest, so the world will see your fruit and go, that's good fruit that points to Jesus, not you. So we see this concept of this identity that he wants us to understand. So how does a first fruit of God actually act? What does a saving faith actually do? And James gives us these practical, for all you type A people that want your list of stuff to do, here you go, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Look up at verse 18. Remember the activity of God. Don't forget this, but remember this. Take note of this, and then he moves to, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So first we see this concept of be quick to listen, that the Christian, the believer in Christ, should be the, the, the last to speak in the room. Because we are eternally secure. It doesn't matter if our voice might be heard with people because our voice, our cries were heard by Abba Father. But I don't think, I think if we're honest and if we just look at social media and we look at the news, we, you hear Christians, our first gut inclination is rarely to seek to understand the opposite, but more to fight. To put, let me, let me tell you what's right. Let me stand for the truth and instead let me run you over. But what if the church, the body of Christ, actually sought to understand those that are not in the family of God? Oh, how differently America would view Christianity. That if we were the most, I'm gonna phrase that, we Christians should be the most understanding people of all time because we are eternally understood and known by a God that sees us be unfaithful every day to him and still go, you're mine, you're mine, you are mine. Why can we not extend the same to the world? So believers should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And then he goes, he starts talking about this concept of anger, that we should be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And he starts moving because this anger is at odds with, with the righteousness of God that he desires for your life. So this concept of anger is a big deal to James. And I think some of us read that and we immediately are like, oh, I'm not an angry person. I don't yell. I'm not, I'm not abusive. So anger, that's not me. So move on to the next thing. I could listen better, but anger is not me. But hold on. We need to have a, a theological definition of what anger is. And we, really where we go is we need to go to Jesus' words. So in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount, his first sermon, coming out party, of what he said, hey, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. You've heard it said, whoever murders will be subject to judgment. So Old Testament law, in the Old Testament, this is what is not right. If you murder someone, if you physically kill someone, you could, it's okay if you're angry and mad at somebody, you can judge them in your heart, but as long as you don't kill them, that's fine. Jesus makes it even harder to be righteous. And he says, you heard it said, that whoever murders will be subject to judgment, but I say whoever is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. So Jesus doesn't make anger an outward problem. He makes anger a heart problem. Then he goes, let let, let me paint a picture for you. If there is bitterness or anger towards a, a certain person, you're a murderer. And you are deserving of judgment. That we we don't act that way as Christians. 
That since we're free in Christ, we feel the freedom to wave the holy banner a lot of the times and run people over instead of seeking to understand. A lot of time, we might be angry with a certain political group or a certain uh, movement or a certain group of people or a certain person, but we might not ever even express it outward, but it's here and we know it. That's just as much deserving of judgment for us. And if, and if we were truly immersed and enthralled by this concept that we were chosen, that God gave us birth when we did not deserve it, that I think we would be so much more humble to go, I was given much by God, so let me give you a fraction of what God gave me. This is the posture of a believer. This is the posture of a saving faith. So James moves and he sees this concept that, that this is what you should be building your identity on. This wasn't just James that talked about it. James wanted them to build this identity on the, on the rock because he remembers what his brother Jesus said. In Matthew 7, it says this, Matthew 7, 24 through 27, this is Jesus talking to a group of people of what it truly means to build your identity on the finished work of Christ. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came and the storms rose and the winds blew and it beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was not on their works or them doing things, but their foundation was on the rock. First Peter, another word for that is the cornerstone, Christ. This is what it means to build your house, your identity on Christ not your doing, not your good works. Then he moves on and starts talking about this another group of people. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. We are called and we were saved to be first fruits, to bear fruit. And a lot of us, I think, are bearing rotten fruit. That we are reflecting a God that is not our God. And if, we're, and if we are bearing bad fruit, the problem isn't necessarily our fruit. Because the fruit comes from the tree. The tree is us. The problem is us. And really the problem isn't the tree. The problem is the roots. On what ground are you building your identity on? Because I think there's two groups of people in this room. Some of us are so fearful that we have to earn God's approval. That our good works are going to make God enjoy us. And that is not the Christian faith. That is every other religion, that we have to get to God. That the Christian faith is that Christ has done everything for you. That he chose you. He gave you birth. That's the rock that you stand on. But then some of us, I think we bear bad fruit because we actually think, and we actually think we're bearing good fruit. And we've actually been deceived. In James 1.21, he, he paints a picture of really what the daily life of a believer should look like. So if you're wondering, okay, Garrett, that's, that's all really good, but what do I do? Give me the, what do I do? Here are the two points. That the life of a believer is one of removing and receiving. James 1.21 says it best. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
So we see two things, removing and receiving. This is the life of a believer, a daily removal of something and a daily accepting or receiving or believing in something. There isn't, there isn't a lot of practical, oh, do this, don't do this, do this. Simple, remove and receive. This is a believer in Christ Jesus. This is what bearing fruit is, remove. So what do we remove? Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. And that alone just feels gross. That, and now, let's remember who James is talking to here. James isn't writing this book and giving it to the world. This book was written for believers, to people that are already believing in Jesus Christ. So he's looking at believers, aka us in the pews today, and he's going, therefore, you, believer, get rid of all moral filth. It's not some of it, because I think we are good at getting rid of the big rocks, but we like to keep the little ones. That we do this, I think, a lot of the time. That we go, how close can I get to sin and still feel like I have God's approval? Instead of, how intimate can I be with holiness and with God? That this is how we act with our relationship with God. That we're not willing to actually expose ourselves because we don't believe that God will actually still give us his approval. When he's, we already have all of it in Christ Jesus. That we are called, expected to remove all moral and the evil that is so prevalent. It's like James, like, we're missing it. You gotta understand that there's still remnant of your old self. That James expects us to purge us of our old self. We don't do this with any other relationship. I don't do this with my wife, but I do it with God. And it's so backwards. I don't, do, I don't ask my wife this question or wonder, hey, Emmy, how, how close can I get to unfaithfulness where you'll still consider me your husband? That's not how it works. But with God, we do that. We go, hey, how, how much do I have to give you to still be considered your son or daughter instead of going, I am yours, so you have my whole life. This is what get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent looks like. And it hurts. And it's purging. And it's exposing. And it, and it might make the community actually see who you actually are. And that is okay. Here's why it's okay, because the second word is receiving or humbly accepting. It says, humbly accept the word that is planted in you. Notice that, the first, the word word. That word simply just means the gospel, the finished work of Christ. And then next, notice the word planted. Notice that's past tense. It's not humbly accept or humbly believe in Christ and then I'm gonna give you something, believer. No, no, no. He's saying, believe in something you already have. I've already done all the heavy lifting. Now just choose to believe it. Why don't we believe it? What are we afraid of? I think we're afraid of, honestly, others seeing us for being weak. And we would think that we can come to the church and this should be the safest place for us, but a lot of times it's not because we're scared of what people are gonna think of us if they find out that we have sinned. Where the Bible talks over and over and over again of what a, what a believer should view their sin as. One, that it holds no condemnation over them so they can freely go to God. Hebrews 12 paints a beautiful picture of this concept of removing the filth and receiving something we already have. Hebrews 12, uh, verses one and two, it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us believers throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Get rid of it. Run, flee, get as far away from sin as you can. Don't stick your hand in it wondering if you're gonna be affected by it. No, no, no. Get 
far away from it. And then it doesn't just stop there. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And the race is not, well, now i got to do a lot of stuff for God so I stay okay with Jesus. That's not what this race is. Here's what the race is. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So saving faith, one that is built on the rock, is one that is an everyday action of purging while constantly gazing on the past truth of Christ. Of going, I gotta get rid of this because it's dragging me down, but the good news is this will not affect my eternal security in Christ. So I wanna free some of us up today that feel the bondage of sin. That if you are in Christ, if the answer to the question of am I a Christian is yes, that nothing you do for God or against God in sin will separate you from his love. And you're like, yeah, I've heard that, but I don't think we actually believe it. Because we would freely come and actually say, I, I'm a sinner and I need grace today. And in the same prayer say, thanks be to God. But we don't do that. And James gets that and he wants to hit the hammer home with 22 and 25 because he's worried that deception is still in the church. Look at 22 and 25, what he starts talking about after removing and receiving, he gives a warning. 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does, do not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but does it, he will be blessed in what he does. So James is fearful of, of these people that are giving lip service to God, saying, praise be to God, he is my savior, but they bear bad fruits. And he's saying, you're deceived. You're deceived. You're missing the point. The point isn't doing good works. This is why he he loathed the Pharisees at times. He's saying, you're doing good works, but those are whitewashed tombs to me. All Jesus cares about is, do you cherish me? Do you cherish me? And the people that, that say they cherish him, but their lives look no different than the rest of the world. They're like looking in a mirror saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and immediately walking away, forgetting their identity because they have not built their house on the rock. Because the finished work of Christ blows back and forth and means nothing to them because it's up to them. Moralism has no place in the church. So a saving faith, and here's our take home today, a saving faith is an active faith, but a saving faith is a reactive faith. And here's what I mean by that. A saving faith, someone that builds their identity on the finished work of Christ is one that is, a, is active, that is doing things, but they are doing things in reaction to God's activity on their behalf. So what I mean by that is this, that you are not being proactive to gain God's approval. You cannot gain God's approval, no matter how good your works are, they are like filthy rags to a perfect and holy God. That we are only given God's approval through the blood of Jesus. So we react or respond out of that identity. 
And I can promise you, if you've been trying to spin your wheels and just work your way to feel better about yourself or feel better about your relationship with God, you will drown. That's why he paved a way for us to be connected to the vine forever. So my hope for us today is that one, that we would not be deceived and that we would desire to bear good fruit, that we would honor our God in the gift that he's given us in salvation, but also that we would unload the burden of trying to accomplish things for God so he likes us more. Which that is nowhere in scripture. That God's affections have been fixed on you the second you confessed and believed. He chose you. So the mission of this church and the vision of this church is beautiful. It's to be found found faithful as God's people. And my hope is that we do not move to the faithful part before we remember that we were found by God. It is only in a deep digging of believing that we are founded by God through Christ and nothing will change that, will we be able to actually reflect it to the world? So be free to actually be known in this place. So my hope as we move to a time of response that that you would maybe for the first time in a long time feel the freedom to go to God and repent. Repent because you've been bearing bad fruit. And maybe there's some of us in this room that as you hear that, you're like, that's not the Christianity I have heard before. Mine's always been, I gotta do stuff to get to God. And that is, that is not Christianity. And I would encourage you, my friends, that come to the true family of God and come and confess and believe, maybe for the first time in your life. People will be down here that if you need prayer or if you wanna make that decision, maybe you just need prayer for something. This place is safe. If we can't be known here, we can't be known anywhere. Feel freedom today and confidence that you are founded in Christ. So because you are founded in Christ, you can be faithful. Let's pray. God, I know my tendencies. And I know my natural posture as just a man who wants to fix things, is is to do it myself. And God, I do not want to miss out on the beauty of intimacy with you in the midst of the process of purging myself of my old ways. God, I pray that I would be one that models humbly going to the Father in repentance. And Father, I pray if there is someone in this room that that needs the good news of the gospel today, that that it would birth for birth forth joy abundantly. The God that we can come to the table trusting that you will never judge those who are in the family of God. In your name we pray. Amen.